Today on the podcast, we get to sit down and learn from Angeline Ao, who is one of my very favorite people to follow on Twitter. I will be sure to include her Twitter handle as well as the many other resources that she points us to over in the show notes. Enjoy. Hi, I'm um, Angeline Ao, and I am a Chinese-Australian educator living in Berlin, Germany. I was born in Malaysia, um, and my family migrated to Australia when I was young. And I have always known I wanted to be a primary school teacher. I Even in grade 10, year 10, when I did um, work experience, I went into a primary school to do it. So I always say that I've never really left school. I went straight from high school to university um, and then back into a school again. So I, at heart, I am a primary school teacher and uh, I've grown into becoming a pedagogical leader. And so I work a lot with other teachers. So they are like my classroom in a way. And um, that's how I learned to hone my craft as an educator. And, um, and some of you may know of me as also a, a staunch feminist. And so I am uh, also the co-founder of Women Ed DE. And um, it's, a, it's a group where we support um, educators who identify as uh, women and um, to help them with their aspirations as um, both educators and also as leaders to help them with their leadership paths. And um, yeah, so in those multiple roles, both paid and unpaid, mm -hmm. <laughs> I, uh, I, I um, engage with the world of education, especially in international schools. And Angeline, you you have engaged with you know the world of education in a huge huge way this past year. Um, anyone who follows you or uh, who follows the organization you mentioned, uh, Women Ed DE, knows that you've been doing so much. You've hosted a, a full series of webinars. You have another great one planned. Um, you know, amongst some other things, and we'll we'll get into that. I'm wondering if we can actually start this conversation uh, by you looking back at the series that you curated and co-facilitated. And I'm wondering if you might share with listeners um, just a little bit more about the, the context of that series and a few of the aha moments that um, I'm guessing have sort of stuck with you and, and share how they might inform future work um, that, that you have planned. Sure. Yeah. So um, the Heart to Heart uh, webinar series I mentioned before, I co-kind of founded and, and co-lead with um, Kyra Kellawan, and she's part of Women Ed ESP, Women, Women Ed Espanol in Spain. And the two of us met online. We've actually never, ever met face-to-face -face in person. And, uh, and it came out of a, a growing need well, due to the pandemic. We couldn't have a Women Ed events. And women at events are very much trying to bring a community together. And so we couldn't do it in our local communities, both myself here in Berlin and with Cairo in Spain. And during that time, we thought, okay, well, how about um, building an online community of uh, women ed um, and so and also what an opportunity then to actually work across with our with our other you know sisters uh, in around Europe in the same time zone. 
And so Clara and I thought, okay, let's start let's start having some webinar. Who could we have? And and um, and who could we maybe like rope in to to help have a conversation that maybe other people might be interested in? And so that's kind of how it grew. Um, uh, I don't know about Kyra, I can't speak for her, but I must admit that I knew nothing about hosting webinars. <laughs> I had I had ventured into the world of podcasts uh, through some um, IBPYP podcasts I did about when the enhancements were rolled out. And uh, and so we, we just kind of prepared for them, and we and the first time we hosted one, uh, a Zoom bomber came in, <laughs> and so oh, no. and uh, and and then we thought, ooh, well, we could look at it in several ways. It could be an absolute disaster, or we were doing something important enough that someone actually took the time to come and mm -hmm. Zoom bomb, and we thought, well, you know, that's really sending a message for why the mess the 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 learnings we wanted other people to have as a result of the webinars were even more important and so we were thinking about how you know women in education need to have a voice and we need to have allies um, in order to close the leadership gap that exists and also to put the word out there that you know that we have something to say and about the world of education as well as the inequities that are within it as well Oh, that's and, uh, that's a really powerful framing, Angeline. I love that idea of uh, you know because I think whenever we're doing advocacy work, there is always that that backlash. I mean, it's it's silly. I don't have a gigantic audience for this podcast, so you know, listeners who are listening right now, thank you for for doing it. But I often will receive you know some sort of hate mail, and I I love that idea that you're saying you know maybe it's important to step back and realize sometimes the backlash is there because this work is so important and because there's momentum building. So thank you for that. Sorry for interrupting you, but um, it was just really powerful. Yeah, yeah, no worries. Um, yeah, I think that, um, you know, it's so in interesting. I think when you think about um, media, you know, is there anything like bad press is what this myth that this like you know uh i guess it's an urban urban legend about press um and and i'm someone who you know came to understand the importance of branding really late like i know I, I didn't think about cultivating my brand or being on mm. twitter or being on social media or having a website um and then uh and then so i, I started to realize you know the the power of being able to do that and and who how who you can reach with a specific brand and so while I don't you know I'm not an expert I like I said in my introduction I'm a primary school educator at heart <laughs> um, I've learned a lot about how our voice can be heard by others and maybe it inspires someone else and I think that itself is worth it because that's what we do right where we want we want to be able to touch people's lives um, whether they be age six or three or 23 or 43 or 63 and so um, it's 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 great to be able to have that. And you asked about, um, you know, what some of my aha moments are from from cultivating these um, webinars. So we've had a big range of different people on, um, from from you know he for she feminists uh, who came on and like so leaders of different international schools who are male, and um, and people working in the field of um, you know 
equity and diversity and all the way through to um, someone who's published a book and people have published books about women in leadership and so on. And so each time I prepare for the webinars, I, I do a lot of research and uh, into their field and into that area. And so sometimes I selfishly pick a webinar topic where I know maybe like, you know, I think I know a little bit, but I know that if I actually pick it, I would, I would dedicate that time to learn a lot more about it. Um, and so there's been so many aha moments really for me. Um, and just the preparation itself, thinking about what questions to ask, um, what, where the conversation could possibly go. Um, and then, and also what are some of the maybe possible big takeaways that we, I would like to plan people to walk away with so they don't feel like when they come to the webinar that they've, you know, wasted any of their time because mm -hmm. educators' time is so valuable, um, but also leaving space for things that might arise um, and, and directions that uh, our guests could take us in that we maybe didn't plan for as well. So very much like I mentioned, it's a little bit like my classroom, like, right? So, so if you were to prepare for a lesson, you're probably doing very much similar things and um and so uh i think every opportunity like that is a an aha opportunity and um but i think one of the most transformational things i think that i walk away with is is really the the power of community and the power of volunteerism because many people we've approached like yourself trisha um, to say hey we've got this idea for a webinar would you like to join and then people have always been so receptive and gone yes yes let's make that work and and i remember you know you woke up at like 5 a.m or something just to <laughs> just to join us and so um that has been a, a great thing that I think that has come out of the pandemic. It's brought the global community closer together um, through opportunities that um, that seem to transcend time zones and um, transcend things that were a barrier before as well. So that accessibility for me is a big aha moment. Yeah, and it, it, it kind of, I think, has been a little bit of, um, you know, and a reminder that there's no excuse for us to not collaborate. You know, I, I think sometimes, you know, as you were saying, when it comes to work around equity or inclusion, you know, schools can sort of, or schools used to be able to sort of plead ignorance or say like, oh, well, you know, we're just not aware of what might be happening or, um, you know, but, you know, the last year I think has shown us exactly, you know, what you said, we, we have the tools to spark these conversations um, and it, it sort of is, can we, can we leverage these tools in order to, you know, build community? And as you were saying too, do some of that critical learning just for ourselves. And I loved all of your reflection around how you go about setting up a webinar, the research piece, the questions, the provocations, really thinking about, you know, what, what the audience experience is going to be like. And, and that's sort of, um, you know, I, I advocate for, for teaching students how to uh, host and run and facilitate podcast conversations. And I think we talk all the time about like the lost art of listening. Um, and I, I think, you know, your webinar series is a great model of that and is a great model for, for teachers who are wondering, you know, how might I take some of the tools and some of the facilitation that I have seen in the last year and bring it into the classroom? Um, you know, I kind of think it's a, it's a great model. And I, I just want to mention 
Uh, for listeners who are curious about the Heart to Heart series, if you didn't get to catch any of the webinars, I believe they're still up on YouTube. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I'll, I'll leave the link to it in the show notes. Sure, um, we, I can share that with you. It's um, on the Women Ed have a, a YouTube channel. Um, so I think our webinar was one of the first things that went up on the YouTube channel. But if you look on it now, there are hundreds and hundreds of, um, of uh, recordings from Women Ed events from all over the globe, from all different Women Ed groups that have established. And there's even one where you are in Canada, Tricia, and, uh, and I think the latest group that um, that was that uh, established themselves as women at Thailand. And so it really is something that has spanned all around the globe. And uh, again, correct me if I'm wrong here, but you know, again, folks that are, are hearing you talk about this and are getting curious about it, uh, it's hashtag women ed. And I think if there isn't one in the location that you are in, you can sort of apply to get it started because it, it looks, at, you know, at least to me as a, an observer through Twitter, it looks like so many of them have been popping up all over the place in the last few years. Yes, it's a grassroots community movement, really. And so if you, if you don't have one in your area and you feel, oh, this is something that I want to build a community um, around this, this area, this intersection of um, what is traditionally inequitable and, and marginalized in educational leadership, then yes, definitely, like, you know, feel free to reach out to me and I can um, point you to the strategic leader of Women Ed that is in charge of your region as well um, to, so that you can learn more about what the roles um, involve and um, how to set up your own group. Because it is, whilst it's fairly informal, <laughs> there are there are there is a group of uh, strategic leaders who just kind of help. Um, I guess they help guide and and help you know uh, cultivate what the what the brand looks like and and how how to support each other so that we can learn from the, all the different groups before us and and stand behind on top of all of those shoulders as well as and um and really establish that grassroots movement. So it's a completely nonprofit. Um, and uh, and volunteer group. So, yeah. and there's they also have published two books, um, one that's called a Ten Percent Braver, and another one called Being Ten Percent Braver. And but in both of those books, uh, the chapters in them are collections of stories from women ed um, activists around the world. And and so, if you want to learn more about the movement, I do recommend those as well. Great, thank you so much. I'll I'll be sure to include all of those links. Um, Angeline, I know that you, uh, as we talk now, either you're, uh, you know, super well planned ahead, or you're still maybe in the process of planning for a session that you have coming up next month in July. It looks outstanding. And I'm hoping um, you might talk to us a little bit about what folks who attend might expect to learn there. And also just share a little bit of that behind the scenes work that you're doing to prepare for it. You know, I love that you touched into that piece that, um, you know, sometimes it looks like, you know, folks like you host a webinar series and it's seamless. And, you know, sometimes there might be a misconception that like it's effortless or you're just stumbling into it. And I, I know, you know, that's not the way that that works. Uh, so if you could just talk to us a little bit about, you know, the work that you've, you've been doing to prepare um, and any specific resources that really stand out that you might recommend as well. 
Sure. Yeah. So in in July, uh, with um, the with ALOC, so the Association of International Educators and Leaders of Color, we have a, a session coming up uh, that's part of their Summer Institute. And so, uh, yeah. So Kevin Simpson, one of the founders of ALOC, uh, reached out and said, you know, any any people in their membership community who would like to offer a session. And and so I thought to myself, okay, well, I have regularly presented before in the past about um, stereotypes and a deep dive into that. Um, and it really stemmed from a passion I have about building into cultural understanding. And uh, and it, some of that also came from uh, as being an IB educator. Um, we work a lot with um, you know this concept of international mindedness. And then through my work there, you know, I, I sort of went into a deep dive into well, how do stereotypes really work? And um, and so like all educators, I guess we we're we're. Well, what we hope, we hope that our students become lifelong learners. And I myself um, am, am, have been accused of oh, what? You're applying for a lot of PD and doing a lot of it myself. <laughs> and sometimes I do this on, on my own too. And, uh, and so 11 years ago when I um, was uh, on maternity leave, I started doing a lot of Coursera courses. And so they're free, big, massive online um, courses that are of available, um, free being the attraction that I had to it. <laughs> and, uh, and so one of them was called Aboriginal Worldviews in Education. And it actually came out of the University of Toronto. And um, and Dr. John Paul Restoul there was the leader of, of, of the um, course. And through that course, he introduced us to a knowledge wheel concept um, and of, of anti-racism that was used by the Sioux Anti-Racism Committee. And it, the way in which they framed how stereotypes um, go from uh, a, a cycle of, you know, how they're formed into how they become your one's prejudices, conscious or unconscious, and then how with every individual has a power to act on our hidden or known, you know, biases. And, and then they, they can be then, of course, discriminatory acts that we take. And then, and then what was really a lesson I learned from that wheel was that the wheel, the next part of the wheel was how when these acts happen repeatedly to people who are traditionally marginalized, then they start to believe that to be true for themselves. And, um, and then it becomes self-fulfilling prophecies. And so um, a lot of my session um, that I'll be presenting at the Summer Institute will be around this stereotypes wheel. And then I think for me, it was like a big aha moment. And I saw so many connections to our work as educators. So a lot of the times I'm taking learning these lessons from, you know, outside uh, the my field, but then translating it into thinking, well, how does this this, you know, kind of, I guess, a, a really useful thing that maybe for me becomes a part of my universal truth um, can actually be applied in the educational context to help our students and also to help our educator colleagues understand their, their own actions. And so for me, it's been seminal to how I now start to think about our actions and, and what maybe are some unconscious things that I hold that are I need to question Mm -hmm. um, which is kind of how stereotypes become 
as well. And and so uh, I hope that people attending will will also walk away with something really practical, and um, and in order to be able to question their own actions and also to to be a more of an upstander than a bystander if they see um, things happening around them and um, behaviors that they think um, need to be questioned to say, okay, what makes you say that? So how did one form the stereotypical view that they might have about maybe how a learner learns? Um, you know, maybe they have a fixed mindset about someone um, as well. And so that's something that I hope. So, and that's also really reflective of how I plan. So for the for the um, ALOC um, session, it's more of a, a workshop. So, because uh, I have a, a longer period of time, sometimes our webinars are webinar-like and, and kind of, direct semi-directional not with not as much audience engagement as I would like due just to the format but um, with with the ALOC session I do have two hours and so it will be you know part informative and part knowledge building and then it will be a session uh, opportunity for the or the participants to engage with the content themselves, to go out into breakout rooms, um, to think about how this might be useful in their educational context, um, and then to think about um, also, you know, making a plan for how to, they might use it in their own context. So for me, that's a really important cycle. We want um, transference coming out of our workshops. Like I mentioned before, um, I, you know, people who donate their time or who pay to attend these sessions um, are, you know, I think they should walk away with something practical um, to use. And so that's really how I do that. And the ALOC session has another dimension to it also. So one dimension is what I've learned, um, this big lesson I've worked, learned about stereotypes. And another is my passion for um, multilingual learning and teaching. And, um, and it kind of builds on the stereotypes also, because there are so many educators who hold stereotypes about multilingual learners. And, um, and I strongly believe that multilingualism is a fact. Um, it, it's in every school. So even if you believe your school has a dominant culture, uh, that, you know, if you scratch the surface, there are even maybe different dialects within that in different world Englishes, even um, within what might seem on the surface, like it, it could be um, more harmonious in, 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 but harmony according to someone's version of what it should be or should look like. And so for me, it's um, looking at that multilingualism piece and thinking about how it is a resource and thinking about how strategies that work for our learners also work with amongst ourselves. Um, and so really having people think about um, our colleagues and you know even how you run your own meetings in your teams um, are we being um, inclusive and are we thinking about how we approach that because undoubtedly there are languages of power and so also helping educators understand how even things like the you know the CELTA test and the way in which we think about languages in terms of A1 state level up to like C2 and so on have has been quite a divisive way of looking at um, what what teachers can bring to schools but also what learners can bring into the classroom and so um, in in the PYP world uh, there's been uh, in the enhanced PYP there's been movement into translanguaging 
And so looking at how we can really do that. And, and in our international school where I work, um, I work a lot with my German school team in the primary. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm always trying to improve my own practice in that. And so also, you know, sharing of, of what I've learned along the way, not just within my school, but also as a workshop leader and supporting other workshop leaders across the globe as well. And so some of, so some of the lessons learned from there are also in my uh, workshop. Um, and uh, I think that uh, that might be why actually when I think now I think I think about it and reflect with you Tricia is probably uh, so because some people say oh you know you inspired me to become a, a workshop leader and I said was it because I, I I just was really vulnerable in the way I share how, how these are these are the things I did wrong in the past <laughs> and so these are the lessons I've learned and uh, and so um, hopefully you you'll learn this through this workshop and then walk away being better and so mm -hmm. so part of my preparation is also um engaging in self-reflection and thinking about what I've learned along the way and um, and hopefully um, that will set someone else better up <laughs> for, for how they're going to um, be, be an educator as a result. Well, I mean, you know, again, we, we learn so much from one another when we, you know, attend these sessions. You know, I, I think it's almost like the dual track of learning. You know, we're there for the themes and the topics and the understandings, but it is, you know, also about that delivery and what you've said about, you know, just really wanting to make sure that participants feel like their time is valued is huge. And, you know, when you were talking about that transference piece of, okay, now let's, you know, step back and you've got some time to think about how this applies within your context. That's so important, you know, especially when you're talking about questioning, you know, what are the messages around power at your school? Um, you know, and I, I love what you're, what you're saying there just in terms of, you know, what are, what are some of sort of almost like the unspoken rules that get suggested about the way that in which we deal with one another? Um, because I, I really think for, for far too long, we haven't questioned a lot of the practices. I mean, you know, it's sort of appalling now when I think about, um, you know, that it wasn't too long ago that it, I think it was fairly common to hear schools have, you know, an English only policy in the hallways, you know, in the cafeteria. Um, and, and it took a long time, I, I think, for, for folks to really question that. And I, I also really appreciate what you're talking about when you're saying, you know, we, we've got to stop and think about our own personal experiences and the ways in which, you know, we've you're right. You've come across a stereotype so often that even if it's about you, you might start to believe it. Um, you know, I was probably in my early thirties when, you know, my wife finally pointed out to me, she said, you know, Trisha, you make sort of those jokes about yourself being a lesbian. And, you know, she's like, I, I'm guessing, I'm assuming it's like, you're doing that to deal with your own internalized homophobia, but think about what you're communicating. Um, and, you know, I really did have to step back and realize yeah, it's not funny what I'm doing. Um, and I am doing it because, you know, I've, I've sort of absorbed all of that homophobia that's been out there, but I'm only replicating it. Um, if I continue to sort of, you know, I would joke about like, oh, it feels uncomfortable to call myself a lesbian. And then it's like, mm, maybe I need to think about that instead of joking about it. Um, and I, I, again, I think it's that, that piece in, we need to reckon with our own experiences with schools in ways that, you know, I, I don't know, I, I guess I would say for myself, 
I didn't really have that opportunity as an educator until recently. I mean, even, you know, you were sharing that experience that you've always known that you wanted to be a teacher. You know, I, I often think back to colleagues I've worked with, how many of them, you know, would I be able to say, oh, I know why that person got into the field. And that's really, I, I think, you know, a sad sort of <laughs> loss that we have if we're not having those conversations about the experience that we're bringing into the field, because of course they drive um, a lot of our perspectives when we're actually working in it. No, absolutely. And I think our underlying beliefs become our actions. And so, you know, however your beliefs were formed, um, sometimes it's through experiences you've had personally, um, or it might be, you know, your family experience from when you were a child. Um, And and so a lot of that that learned behavior that you're talking about um, is how we then know about and interpret the world around us that influences how we act. And, um, and so, and, and that's, I think, the, the tricky thing, you know, so whether you're thinking and whether you call it like the unconscious biases or the implicit biases that we have. Um, and so we're thinking about then, you know, how do those formed and, and, and partly, you know, looking back and into, into all of those things, those family dynamics or the conversations that we had or, or the cultural context in which we grew up in. Um, and, and I, I personally find that, um, educators or and and any human being really they go one of both ways one of two ways um you either work really really hard to not be what you experienced or you end up um, being um repeating things like how often has someone said oh i can't believe i said that to my own children i hear my own my parents voice when i say that and (laughs) or something like this and and i do that all the time as well i'm like where did that come from i don't actually believe that but uh but it just came out and then you realize okay that's something you've heard many times so you took it to be a, a way one of your truths that you hold and and then we have to I guess, in a way, unlearn, relearn, I don't know, break down that learning, um, examine it, reflect on it, and, and really think, what's the belief driving that? And is that just a belief or that's based on fact or is it based on opinion? And sometimes facts change. Um, when we look at the... Um, you know, thinking about brain and how it works. That's been since the 80s when the MRI technology um, was became much more sophisticated. And then so much research has gone into how the brain works. And so that has influenced so much how we learn um, and how we understand how we learn. And, uh, and so, you know, th- these things have, have then changed the world of education in some ways. And, um, and so sometimes what we think is true isn't true. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so yeah, that's, I think, another struggle that I have and I see teachers have because they're trying to work with a system that was established a really long time ago in the way that it exists now. And every year that same system has to run, right? So at our school, um, I shared this this um, little clip of this video, which I think has been pretty popular, uh, which is like trying to fix a plane while it's flying. 
And so, and so, you know, you, you don't have time. You only have like, you know, six weeks break. Or sometimes at a school, in schools, we have a couple of um, in-service days and then all of a sudden you're up and running again. So you fall into this pattern of behavior as well in our schools, right? And the way that we, we do things and um, what's comfortable and what do we know? What have we practiced as a routine as a teacher? And right, instead of thinking about um, how do we challenge maybe some of those cultural norms that have built inequitable systems for and so if you're a learner who's coming in and you may not speak the language of instruction you know how how are you then supported and is who's responsible then to help you access the curriculum or maybe if you're a teacher coming in and you've been hired to teach German for, for example but you learned German in Argentina and the community may not value the accent that you have although you may have learned um, German also in a way where you, you have a more sophisticated understanding of grammar than, than maybe um, a someone who's learned it since birth um, and has learned how to, to speak it kind of in a more um, simultaneous natural sense as well from, from birth and, and so those things, I think, challenge the cultural norms that um, that we know, that we think is, is true. But in the end, I also think that every educator um, wants what's best, like and for kids. And, and so we have to think about those beliefs. Are they grounded in research or are they grounded in, well, it was good enough for me this way. So... Mm -hmm. So that's how I'm going to do it. Um, and, and yeah, so I think I went a bit off topic there, Tricia. No, no, no. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, what you're, what you're saying has definitely been on my mind a lot lately because, you know, I think it is, you know, for me, two pieces stand out in what you're saying. The first is maybe, you know, wondering, is our school culture one in which teachers feel safe and supported in questioning their beliefs? You know, can they engage in these conversations in which, as you and I have both said, sometimes it's about admitting, hey, I was wrong about that, or my views have changed, or reckoning with this thing that I was doing in my practice for a few years, oh, I need to stop doing it. Because it's hard, you know, it, it's hard to admit that we are wrong, but I, I think there are schools that can support teachers in that journey, certainly schools where school leaders, um, you know, kind of model that type of reflection. But the second thing that stands out to me is, you know, really questioning what's at stake if we do not. Uh, you know, there, there's lots of research that always comes out about the significance having a gay-straight alliance at a school makes for LGBTQ plus students um, and, and having kind of an inclusive environment just from a health and safety standpoint. There's lots of research. And there was an article I came across, I believe it's in uh, parents.com, I'll link to it in the show notes, where they say, you know, looking at that inversely, when you do not, it does more harm. And I think sometimes we have to realize neutral isn't always neutral. You know, if you're not questioning the harm that some of these practices do, um, I think you need to understand, you know, it is, it's perpetrating trauma, really. Um, so I think sometimes, as you were saying, it's, oh, this is the way it's always been done, you know, might sound innocent, but maybe it's, you know, reckoning with the reality that it isn't. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think that that's what you've mentioned there. 
also is I think foundational to teachers beliefs about learning and teaching so quite often at the beginning of of like so if I have two and a half days with someone for a workshop <laughs> whatever topic it might be we would always start at the beginning with with thinking about what are our beliefs in that and what has informed those beliefs and we always start with it with a deep dive into that so if it is about multilingual education we would I would ask people to reflect on on you know what has your been your path of language learning and what were positive experiences and what was not so positive experiences and uh, universally <laughs> with uh, working with um, teacher groups all across the globe um, quite often you know primary school years where uh, it, it's it's usually been pretty positive and then when it comes to like middle school high school there's always these deep memories of something that wasn't so great <laughs> and uh, and that's amongst teachers right and so right. so experiences people are coming out of, of schools and school systems that maybe reflect a little bit what the, what theirs looks like now in which the places in which they work and and or that they don't um and and then thinking about that always is um is very informative but and it also it helped me understand too so I, you know, grew up in Australia, in Australia, but but since the age of nine, so my family migrated there, and I I went to a Malay English school in the primary school for the first couple of years, and so I and we also spoke, you know, what I would I guess call Chinglish at home, <laughs> across between different Chinese dialects and and English, and so it, it was obviously accented. And um, and so when we moved to Australia, you know, I wasn't I was an English as a second language student, so it was called ESL back then, and um, and so and I remember, you know, doing really well in in school tests around maths and and uh, but then obviously not so well around English or around language, and in at our school that, that I attended, there was a grade five, six class um, that was composite. And they took the, the kids who, I guess they, it was called the gifted and talented group of kids. And although my scores beat everyone else in that group, I, was, I wasn't allowed to be in that class mm. um, because I didn't have the language skills. Uh, until the very last year of primary school and by then I had two years of I guess what they would call you know catching up or, or learning it before you could enter this this class and and you know that experience really stuck with me because I it you know obviously that informs how why I'm passionate about multilingual learning and teaching um, because there are some assumptions there that uh, kids can't think critically or conceptually unless they have the language and then if I hear that from teachers I'm like well okay okay, you've identified that now. So now what are you going to do about it to help them access the curriculum? Because that should be the question that we're trying to answer. Not so much um, who else, who, who in the building could be responsible for these kids that's not me, right? Because um, every teacher is a language teacher because even if you're teaching math, you're teaching them language of math. And if, or even if you're teaching PE, you're helping them develop you know, teamwork skills, perhaps if you're playing, playing a, a, an interactive sport and not an individual pursuit and, and then they need to be able to communicate that clearly with their team, right? And be able to understand that. And so every teacher is a language teacher and I want to make sure that every child is able to succeed in all aspects of the curriculum. So, so, so that's just an example of how our beliefs drive us 
right? And sometimes it's from a negative experience that stay with us. And we know from the brain research that those negative experiences, sadly, are the most power, more powerful than the positive ones. And so those can be what drives us. Um, but also sometimes, and maybe that's also the other thing, like those positive experiences, those fun things that we enjoy um, is maybe a little bit harder to question. And so I think what sometimes is fun for people is they think what's going to bring harmony in a school, but then harmony can be a mask for, um, you know, inequitable structures perhaps. And so, and, and maybe harmony is a, a blanket for a lot of individuals underneath it that have had to assimilate and be something that they're not in order to create that. And so, so I think, you know, it's easier for us to identify the things that drive us through our negative experiences and that maybe form our beliefs, but what's harder is to examine our blind spots and thinking about, you know, what we don't see or those cultural norms you were talking about earlier as well and thinking about then how can we shift because because yeah because I think every teacher hopefully what you like you mentioned we don't know sometimes why teachers go into the profession right. but I like to believe that um, we all are there um, in service it's a service <laughs> your profession and so we we um, are so dedicated and I think I've seen this in in my colleagues this year during very difficult you know 12 to 18 months during COVID and their absolute dedication and we have um, you know one and a half weeks left of school here in, in Berlin here and everyone's kind of crawling to the finish but the dedication of this and things that have driven them to the end is of this academic year is is just amazing and um, yeah so I really do value everything that they bring. Um, and you're about to bring something to colleagues uh, far and wide. Uh, you know, I was really honored to kind of get a, a little bit of a sneak peek at a book that you're working on. I think it's going to be a great tool. You know, I love that you touched upon this notion of, you know, what do we really mean when we say harmony? It makes me think of, you know, when I've done uh, interviews, you often hear this phrase, and I think it's still common. You know, you'll hear people say, we want to see if you're the right fit. When you're saying that, what do you really mean? Um, and and I think you know again the, the book that you're working on is going to get to some of that nuance and some of that questioning. Um, so I wanted to make a little space in our conversation for you to introduce it uh, and let listeners know uh, where they might be able to go to find out more um, and and when when it'll be ready for for a broader audience. Yeah, thanks, Trisha. Um, yeah, so I'm super excited. Uh, I we with um, Sadie Hollins and um, Stephen Whitehead, we're co-writing a book that um, is titled um, Becoming a Totally Inclusive School. It's going to be a guide for teachers, educators, and leaders. And, uh, and really it's our concept of the book is to help people think about what does it mean to be totally inclusive? And the, our definition of total inclusivity is more than just learning diversity. And, um, and so it's looking at the diversity of many different intersections of identity. And, uh, and so uh, coming from our, my co-authors experiences and we have very different backgrounds, all three of us. And so for example, um, Stephen has published a book called Toxic Masculinity. 
and he his personal experience as a white male educator leading schools um, during a time where he himself, you know, was trying to fill in his own blind spots, I guess, uh, and uh, becoming better at what he does and and thinking about how he he is is a could could be either be a perpetuator of a patriarchal inequitable system or is it something that you can address and so his his area of interest is of course in gender and looking at masculinity and questioning those areas and um and then sadie hollands um who is, um, as, as we know, is part of the WISE uh, education. Uh, she's a health and well-being. She's a PE teacher. Um, both of them are, are prolific writers, <laughs> much more so than I am. Uh, so I'm really glad to, <laughs> to have that, uh, that support from them. Um, you know, like I mentioned, being an, an ESL student in the past, I'm always really conscious about how I write things. Um, but, uh, but the book um, is an opportunity for us to think about you know what does what does it mean for us all dive into things like unconscious like biases and unconscious biases and the book is in three sections so the first one is looking at at ourselves so giving us an opportunity for us to do our own work and then the, the second section is really thinking about well how do we interact with others so it's about us so how does my action then um, either perpetuate inequity or how does an action I do in schools um, help create a more equitable place, right? So that's really thinking about cultural norms. It's um, talking about um, how we can build uh, uh, safe spaces and, and so on. And then the third section is um, is the section that I'll be um, writing. And um, some, some people think that it might be the more, you know, poke your eye out with a spoon type of section because it's about the institution. Um, it's that kind of, uh, what Kyra Kellowan calls the the unsexy work <laughs> of schools, and uh, and so it has to more to think about. You know how how do we look look up at our institutions? How do we build systems and structures and and um, that will help support the type of culture that we want and the type of um, things that we would like? And so and th so thank you very much also for giving me feedback on a continuum that um, I've been developing and I'm still developing and evolving um, as, as we go. And um, so our de deadline for the book is um, the 1st of December. And so that then it will go out to some peer reviewers. So I'm hoping it will, uh, I guess, hit the shelves maybe um, next year sometime, maybe so about a year from now, I would guess, would be my best guess. Um, Stephen is a, a an experienced author, so he, he knows more about the process. So I, I rely on my colleagues there to help us. And um, but uh, I'm excited to be able to put into writing some of the ideas, and I hope that it will help educators and leaders around the globe, because right now there's a lot of interest in in this type of work in schools, and um, and there, but there's also a lot out there right now. And it's really hard to keep up and it's really there's a lot of um, good noise uh, let's say but um but where do we go and where do we start and how do we approach it comprehensively so that it's going to be successful in our schools and so that's really what our book is attempting to help people so it's a it's really a guide i'm really excited for it to come out and uh you know again in 2022 when it's when it's released maybe all all three of you will uh, we'll join me for another episode. We can have a little bit of a book launch party 
Um, you know, because I, I think, again, continuing to sort of add to that conversation of resources is really, really important. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, as you said, there is a lot out there, but I also think schools that are consuming and digesting multiple resources and doing the work from that vantage point rather than, okay, we heard this one thing or we came across this one book and this is going to be our be all end all. Um, you know, I, I think just having multiple perspectives is incredibly invaluable um, and, you know, also can spark debate. Um, you know, you, you and I have talked a lot about how important it is that we question our beliefs. You know, we ask what's influenced them and, and where they've come from. And, and I, you know, I really hope that your book is going to be another thing that's going to help us do that key questioning. So, you know, Angeline, I love following you on Twitter. I will, of course, include your Twitter handle in the show notes. Um, uh, you know, I respect so much what you share about ways that we can disrupt bias, how we can address stereotypes, and really the ways that we can go about just trying to, you know, foster richer dialogues and bring more perspectives in. Um, I'm wondering uh, if you might, you know, as I was just mentioning, I, I hope whenever we're coming across, uh, you know, someone like you, it makes us hungry to learn even more. So I was wondering if you might point listeners to a few other resources that have really grounded some of your thinking um, that might help them continue to kind of, you know, have this conversation with you uh, as a reader. Sure. Um, I think, I think it, you know, depending on, I feel like um, how you prune the resources that you want to access really go back to what your um, passions are in, in this field of education. So for me, um, what I would highlight uh, is is um, obviously ALOC um, and KDSL Global, the work of Kevin Simpson, like having joined um, ALOC, it's just been really transformational for me because I felt like I've met so many other colleagues <laughs> in, in, this, in this Twitter universe and also on Facebook and, and throughout that I've been able to connect with. And, um, and also because they, they themselves share a lot of resources. Um, and so that's, that's definitely one thing. And, um, and it's nothing, I'm sure a lot of people already know about this one, but uh, the Learning for Justice, which was the Teaching Tolerance mm -hmm. um, website is, is really um, valuable and they share a lot of information as well. And, I, and a new one I've recently discovered is the Global Equality Collective from um, Nick Ponsford. And, and um, that's, that I think is super exciting because Nick has taken what, um, you know, a dynamic way of looking at equity and de de developed an app that I hope that we'll be trialing in our school soon as well. And um, and so a lot of people are wondering how they can perhaps measure or keep keep monitor, you know, what um, whether some of the practices and intersections in the school are, are going and what Nick has developed with her team is a tool to help with that. And so I'm super excited uh, about all the things that are coming out of the Global Equality Collective as well. And, and these two things, like for example, so teaching tolerance is a lot of, it's very much US based and then Global Equality Collective is UK based. And, um, and so I mentioned these because I, I speak English and I have access to this, this and I'm able to understand that. And so I'm also really interested in, in what your listeners can share with us that are resources that I don't know about because I have limitations, you know, with, with my access. So, like, so if we think about authors putting out um, 
products there to help others. So, you know, this small book that I might be right, I'm going to write right now is, um, is this, but then, you know, I think about how, for example, you know, Paulo Freire, you know, if his works were not translated, who may not have been influential across the globe. And, and so I'm sure there's a lot of other resources out there too locally that is um, really valuable. So for myself, as I live in Germany longer, I get to acquire more German. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and so I've started following um, some German um, accounts. So there's a Center of International in Intersectional Justice here in Berlin, and um, they post things in in both English and German, and so that's been exciting, and um, and so a lot of uh, groups that are starting up here around Black Lives Matter, um, as well, and so recently there's you know Black Brown Berlin um, group and. Um, Migration Matters is another wonderful resource. Um, and so, yeah, so I'm discovering new resources all the time and it's a bit like pruning a garden, I guess. What we, how we uh, build it and cultivate it is how it's going to look and grow. But, um, but for me, it's, it's um, something I do on my commutes <laughs> back and forth in school. So it kind of lives, pays off to live a little bit further away. <laughs> so I have this time and, um, and I, well, so while I'm on the train, I get on Twitter and and um, and prune that little garden and and uh, and it's been really rewarding the way in which it has given back and I've learned a lot from from people and once you follow one person that you like or a group that you like it it just opens up a world of because they have a network they have a community you start to see posts from um, others and um, and so for me that um, that also begins with what you are interested in so if you're a science teacher um, working in the middle school then I'm probably not the one <laughs> to, to follow um, but there's a community out there for you and and there is um, there are different resources there so it's kind of hard to answer your question in a way Trisha because what I might say my someone else might be like oh I'm completely uninterested in that at all <laughs> but um, but I think it, it goes to the power of um, building your own community and and building your own networks in your areas of interest um, because I think that sense of belonging is what everyone wants and we can oh. do that too with our resources. And I really, I do appreciate what you say about, you know, it's paying attention to, you know, who are some of the the global, you know, heavy hitters, so to speak, and then also getting curious about, you know, what's, what's very local um, and, and things that are grassroots. I think, um, you know, some smaller organizations that are grassroots are, you know, also capable of producing incredibly valuable resources. Um, so, you know, lastly, I, I just am wondering if you might give us a little bit of, a, you know, more information in terms of what you may have planned coming for next year. Um, you know, I, I'm sure people who attended the heart to heart series are like me. They're, they're sort of like, Oh, what, you know, what can we, what can we count on next year? Uh, you know, sorry, I, I feel like that's maybe greedy, but you've been so generous with putting out fantastic high quality professional development. Um, so I, and I know, you know, as you said, you're a lifelong learner, so I'm kind of betting a little bit that you have some thoughts, something in the work for next year. Um, not to say that, you know, working on a book is, is not enough. I'm sure your, your hours on your weekends to just relax are far and few between, but, um, uh, are there other things coming next year that we, we might, uh, begin to get excited to see coming from you? 
Yes, for sure. Um, so yeah, Kyra and I were actually just chatting today, earlier today, and um, kind of reflecting on the year ourselves and, and thinking about what's coming next. And so I've reached out to a few people in, in my network. Um, so Emily Meadows, we're hoping to have her on as well. And she does a lot of work around gender and inclusivity. And so what I've been thinking about a lot is, is recently is, you know, we are um, women ed DE and so already by saying women um, you know we're working in very binary terms and but on the other hand we're also thinking about how we want to be more inclusive right and so and, and so this is an area I'm, I'm developing in and growing and learning more about all, all the time and you know sometimes I step in it quite scared that I'm going to you know blunder and so someone like Emily I think is going to really help us and so we're going to have a topic about that coming up um, hopefully in September maybe October and um, and yeah and so and we're also really open to Kyra and I quite often choose our next topic uh, by keeping our ear to the ground and seeing the reactions from the first one sometimes it's something someone says on the panel in the webinar and we're like oh that, that we need to pursue that further that could be another hour and so um, but if any listeners have any ideas too of things that they want us to um, address then please do get in touch because um, because we're very open and and yeah but but some, that's something for me as well to think about how we can be more inclusive and so that's coming up for sure and um and and in addition to the heart to hearts um and and so as, as part of my you know voluntary work um i look forward to continuing on perhaps in in some capacity in supporting um the cis so as a member of a board committee um, on, on inclusion diversity equity and anti-racism and so we we made some recommendations to cis and um and they're going to you know publish their directions soon i hope and um and they've asked the members of the committee um, to continue on in that role so that's something that I hope to be able to continue and um, and this some um, this hopefully I think in July this will also go out as an announcement um, so I work part-time at my school so I'm going to be there three days a week I'm continuing my role as a PYP coordinator in the upper elementary and for two days a week, I'll be, I've been um, brought on by CIS, the Council of International Schools. And so I'm gonna start a new role in July um, as an international advisor focused on looking at global citizenship. Oh, so congratulations. Of, thank you. Thank you. So a lot of the things I'm passionate about is kind of coming into this one role as well. So, uh, so obviously the, uh, you know, diversity, equity, um, inclusivity and justice, a part of global citizenship, active service learning, um, you know, the um, multilingualism piece, um, a lot of this falls into how schools struggle to define global citizenship. So it will be a big, big um, part of the role is looking at how we can support schools into doing the, the work that they might need. And, um, and also to help them grow in, in how they're um, servicing students. And so I'm really excited about this, this new prospect. Um, yeah, so I did have a one word goal in 2021 uh, that was to streamline <laughs> what, I was, <laughs> what I was going to offer. And uh, so part of taking on this role is also to do that. So as you can see, I filled up 
by five days a week with this three days at school and two days at CIS, hopefully to free up the weekends. <laughs> but um, but the volunteer work is um, that. But I but similarly, like you know, we expect our learners to be lifelong learners, so we should be ourselves. We also expect our learners to be global citizens and to engage in service learning. And so I try to model that too. And model it so well you do. I mean, it, it's really extraordinary. Thank you so much. You know, and again, uh, giving up your time today to, to chat with listeners. I, I really value, you know, everything that you've shared from your personal experiences to ways that, you know, you've already made it possible to folks to, you know, to learn from you and, and to continue to do so. Uh, you know, thank you so much. You've been so generous in so many different ways. I can't wait to get this episode out there. Um, because, you know, if, if you're listening and, and you're not connected yet with um, the work that Angeline does, uh, I'm sure I'm sure you will be now. Angeline, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for the invitation, Trisha.